0: Hang on, I'm just I'm just stripping off. It's a, bit, <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit, hot in this. I I, I can't put a fan or any. Air, I've got a, like a portable air conditioning unit because my house gets like incredibly hot in the summer. Um, but if I put that on, that will just kill the audio. So um, I'm, a, I'm in a T-shirt. Don't worry, I'm just taking my my other layer off. <laughs>
1: Is this why you want the introductions to be always so kind of? (laughs) Look, I'm
0: not. not, If 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 you want to, uh, well, I am. I I am still in a decent um, paper dress.
1: So you're talking about weapons. (laughs) Liverpool's. um, Your article is titled "Liverpool's Secret Weapons to Wrap Up the League Title." Uh, who are they? Uh,
0: well, that isn't this destroying the whole point of reading the article. No, um, <laughs> no. I'm sure this, this is just going to be for subscribers anyway. Um, so and hopefully they'll have read it by the time this goes out. Um, no, I'm just thinking about I don't know if you guys have heard any different, but is everybody injury free at the moment? Do you know
1: for, for us? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they have not heard. I mean, because there hasn't been any proper, or it might have just started this week, but contact training. So people who have just been, you know, doing stretches and yoga, and you know, on a on a treadmill at home or something. But I don't think if as I say, if, if no one's injured, then it's it's a chance for players like Cate, um, um sort of quite um, players that can, you know, when they play well, can be. Quite devastating in, in statistical terms, I believe. Even if not everybody appreciates them, but they they the, in particular those two have a a kind of strong sort of series of statistical sort of underlying numbers that that suggest that they you know they can be really important players and they're the kind of people that we haven't had all season. Matip and Fabinho, they both their seasons were pretty much. Um, ruined by injury and although we, d- we haven't missed matt it because Gomez has done so well it just seems like an interesting time that everybody's had you know the chance to get fully fit to, to sort of shake off any sort of niggling injuries that you know during a season players are probably getting injections on a re- regular basis just mm-hmm. to be able to play all that kind of stuff all the all the stress of non-stop, non-stop football has gone it's been the first proper Break of at least you know between two and three months that these players will have had in years, and then the, obviously the the one interesting player I thought was was Minamino um, simply because I just think I, I feel really felt really sorry for him because um, as I said in the piece I saw him I was at the the four three win against um, Salzburg and. I mean, he was absolutely outstanding. I didn't know who, who he was, um, and I just, just who is that guy? He's just he's just brilliant. And um,
2: and then he turned up
0: for us. I think they'd been they'd stopped playing in in their league for the Austrian league for about a month or so. So he arrived. He wasn't fully fit. He seemed like quite a nice, humble. Lad, which which I always think are the hard, they're the harder types, or they're the ones that find it difficult to go into a new club. I think if you're a real cocksure type, you can just sort of walk in. You know, I don't think Zlatan Ibrahimovic has ever had a problem sort of walking into a new club, sort of no. thing. Um, any
1: building, it, anywhere.
0: Any building, anywhere, especially <laughs> when he when he takes his trousers off. I, I that seems to be a big, a big part of his um, of his self confidence, but. Um, yeah, so just think a minute, you know, I, I think he arrived in the middle of a frantic season. So he arrived, he wasn't sharp. Um, and he's kind of arrived into a very tightly knit group of players who play a very tightly knit group, tightly, you know, style, um, group, tightly group style of football, but, you know, very intricate and interdependent. It's not just sort of about individuals. And even as, even though everyone was, would have been really, really welcoming to him, I, th- I still think, from my own experiences, you know, going from going to play semi-professionally and just having that sense when you go up a level and you think, oh, you know, do I belong here? And you don't know anybody, really, and they don't know your game, you don't know their game, and you're not a regular anyway, so, you know what I mean? You're having to sort of be thrown in here and there for a few minutes. I just think it's a really, really difficult thing for, for players to do. I think it's even harder. While I think that long-term, all the analysis I've done with the, the transfer price index data, you know, which I worked on with Graham, when I was looking at success rates of transfers over time, you know, you will find no, you don't need Premier League experience to be a big surefire hit. But what it does tend to do is the first year can often be difficult, and I always think of the Arsenal examples of, of Pires, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, all had sort of five to eight months, really difficult start at Arsenal, um, and then sort of actually just turned into you know the world class players that they were. If not, they got even better. Um, so I think that the first year for an import. Again, we saw that with with Fabinho the first six months. Um, I think Caters had the problem as well, but then he's also had just constant niggling injuries. And I think that most of the really successful signings under you know sort of during the Klopp and uh, you know Michael Ebers era have come from within the Premier League. They, they might not be English players, so you've got Van Dyke, um, Winoudem. Salah, Mane—they've all had some Premier League experience prior to coming, and I just think it's just that—it's just the, the manic nature of the Premier League. I think that that good players adapt to, but but not necessarily straight away. Well, you so got, I think. You
1: had Robertson, didn't you? And Fabinho, both set, took five to eight months to settle in.
0: I forgot. Um, Van Van Dijk's
1: one of the only, and Alisson and Salah are the only three, I guess, who
0: came in straight away, and maybe Mane. M- Oh, um, but yeah, even Oxley Chamberlain. So even so, I, 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 you, if you look at them all, you would say that Robertson, um, Oxley Chamberlain. Um, uh, Who else did you say? The, the, Fabinho. The, the 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 ones that the ones that have come in from the Premier League can still take time to adjust because you still it, you've still got new teammates, you've still got a new style of play, a new manager, new expectations. So, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Robertson in particular, you know, British players only ever played in Britain, but they still they still had to get into the style of play. But the success is that, that those that have hit the ground running have had prior Premier League experience. Even, say, Firmino, he, he arrived just before Klopp. You know, he didn't really start scoring goals till about five or six months in. So, you know, it's, it's never a guarantee. If you buy from the Premier League, that doesn't mean you get a guarantee that, that it's going to be a su- successful buy. But I just think they, they have perhaps 30 40% less adjustment to make. They're just adjusting to the new club, new players, new manager, new fans, new expectations. But presumably, they, they already speak the language and they're used to the, the, the style of football the, uh, across the whole league. I think Minamino looked very quick and sharp. When I saw him playing was for Salzburg, but he. But that's all part of their team pattern, and I think when you go to a new club, if you're not quite sure what you, what your job is, and you and you're learning on the job, and if you arrive halfway through the season, I mean even Van Dyke, you you know the first five or six games, Van Dyke, you know gave away a penalty against Spurs, was culpable I think against Swansea. You know, he hadn't been playing much in the pre. You know, before he arrived, he obviously was still a class act, but he wasn't. He wasn't the player. I think he scored one goal as well in the first sort of. You know, part first season, half season. So, you know, he's gone up. He's gone up to other to to, to higher levels. So I just think, yeah, is an easy one to forget, and I think it's harder because he hasn't got a specific role in the team yet either. So. And I know, I know, Daniel, you did your analysis. I yes. think so, said that he would, which is which has been backed up by what the Salzburg manager it Jesse March said yeah. this week, which is what kind of you know, one of the things that led me to think about Milamino, was that you know his best role will be as as, as either as the false nine or as a number ten, and I guess a lot of his playing minutes for us, his limited playing minutes for us, have been kind of. On either flank, and, and and Marsh was saying that he hasn't got the explosive pace necessarily to 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 sort of um, substitute for Mane or Salah.
1: That's very true. Uh, that's what I found when I was. Looking at the videos of him. Also, you mentioned uh, how good he was for Salzburg against Liverpool. Gags said he was by far one of the most press-resistant players that he'd seen in the Champions League, um, and that was our pressing. And that comes onto to your article, bees, which is how we became the best pressing, is professional pressing, pressing team, <laughs> pressing team oh. in, the, in the Premier League. That that's that shows you the context, doesn't it, bees? You found using the data from StatsBomb that how we've developed. To become such a pressing machine, and even though Minamino was might have pressing as one of his attributes, it does need to fit into our system, and does need to adapt to other roles. And like like Paul says, and Jesse Marts touched on, he's not a for me, uh, not a Salah or Mane replacement.
2: No, exactly. Yeah, it's um, the, the the pressing stuff is uh, is is really interesting. All the data they've got on the fbref.com um site. And um, they don't have it for Austria. But um, actually, I could probably look up some figures from the Champions League for Minamino. But obviously, there's not, that's not very many. But um, yeah, it's just interesting how um, sort of tying together all the information you can find. Um, the article I wrote also contains a link to the a piece on The Athletic, which was a, a very long article. But just a little sort of paragraph from that about how um, Liverpool's data team, Ian Graham and, and his um his guys can sort of use the data to pinpoint um, opposition players to press, which, you know, I'd, I'd imagine opposition analysts have been have probably been doing for a long time, but the level that they'll be able to do it at is, uh, is just incredible. So being able to sort of tie that to, to Klopp's obvious expertise in that field um, just means that they're, <clears throat> excuse me, they're going to be onto a, onto a winner with that. And um, of course it's, it's just so important as well that, They've got Klopp's buy in, um, you know, they don't, and the players as well like, the players don't need to know, oh, well, if you press in within 0.6 seconds, you'll uh, win the ball or whatever, they just need to know he's the guy, you know, and, and getting that information across just makes it all worthwhile. Everyone sort of pulling in the same direction. Um, funny enough, talking about um, Minamino being press resistant, since um, writing the article, even though that was only the other day. Um, I've already found some more data on there about players who make the most passes while being pressed by the opposition. So, based on what um, Gag said, I mean that's presumably something that Minamino would theoretically show up well in. Um, so that's probably something else to to maybe look at for another for another article. But um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting how um, the the amount of pressing hasn't um, changed all that much, but they just seem to be maintaining the success rate and the frequency um, when it's divided by the number of touches that the, the opposition team have whereas other teams I think it was Man City and Chelsea had particularly strong seasons and have, and have dropped back um, so I think it's just sort of like scratching at the surface really I mean it's it by far the sort of most the best publicly available pressing data but even then it, it still raises lots of questions that you'd love to have answers for but um, I, th- I think it's a pretty good sort of starting point with the uh, sort of data they've got available on there, yeah.
1: What What did you find in terms of the leagues that you had a look at then? Which teams were the best, more successful, highest volume kind of thing?
2: I didn't um, look at it in depth. I noticed that, um, as I said, and it says in the piece, Liverpool have been the most successful pressing team across the last three seasons without having any of the best individual seasons, just the most consistent Um, I did have a quick look at other leagues and I think um, Bayern Munich have a slightly higher uh, press uh, success rate over a long period Um, because um, just if anyone's not read the article, just to explain, they define success as your team winning the ball back within five seconds. Um, So you have a number of presses, a number of successful presses. Um, Yeah, I think Bayern Munich uh, were very slightly higher, um, but I didn't sort of pull out all the figures from all the leagues, I'll perhaps have a look at that and add it as a comment on the article. But um, aside from them, nobody else caught my eye as being um, as good as Liverpool. I I think as well, one interesting point is that, uh, again, it's in the article, but is that um, uh, there's probably slightly more pressing in the Premier League, but with a lower success rate generally. So it's, you know, people are putting the effort in, but it's just uh, overall, not Liverpool, but overall, it's just perhaps not quite as, um, effective or, or efficient as it is um, in the in the Bundesliga um, so yeah uh, as again from the article but it, it, it's sort of going to be interesting to see how this how this happens um, when football comes back. Um, because it seems to have dropped off in the, the Bundesliga. And then, strangely, I, r- I read an article by Jonathan Wilson today, albeit one that he wrote a couple of days ago, and he mentioned pressing had dropped off in the, the Bundesliga as well, whether that's just from his sort of eye test or whether he's seen any stats. But um, he's obviously noticed it, and it, and it, and it's showing in the figures. So whether that, that will be sort of the new thing or not, or whether it's just players coming back after a layoff with no sort of pre-season as such, it, it could easily be that. But... Um, Yeah, it's. uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how how, how sort of Liverpool approach things, uh, because the 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 data is available for every match in the last three seasons. So we'll instantly be able to see. Well, this is you know it might be the first game is Liverpool's worst pressing performance in the last three seasons as you know as an example. Mm. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all sort of develops when it comes back.
1: And what about that the granular level? There's a chart that's got Liverpool's pressing success for and against other teams. So does that show like that the a terrible size who just hoof it that we're having more success against is that what it's showing and then we're struggling a little bit against Arsenal and Man City
2: struggling against Arsenal and Man City yeah the um the ones that Liverpool have most success against was Bournemouth and Brighton who um actually tend to play yeah well, they do yeah, Bournemouth have, guess, always yeah. Played, Bournemouth have always played good football Brighton not so much um under Chris Hughton, but I think they're probably starting to a bit more um but it, I, it was just interesting. I mean, obviously, as always, um, correlation is not causation. But for the data period available, Liverpool have won every league game against Bournemouth and Brighton, and they're the teams that they both can press the best and don't press Liverpool as well. So, mm. you know, with that combination of a, with a Klopp team, I mean, it, it stands to reason that they're probably gonna, you know, they're probably gonna get some good results.
1: Very interesting stuff. And speaking of uh, fixtures, the Premier League announced last. Thursday the 28th of May they agreed to a new provisional restart date of Wednesday the 17th of June that will be Aston Villa and Sheffield United and Man City against Arsenal because they were postponed um, because of the Carabao Cup Now all matches are going to be behind closed doors but all 92 remaining games are going to be live on television um, and they have got slightly different kick-off times which are Friday 8 o'clock, Saturday 12.30, 3 o'clock 5 30, 8 o'clock, Sunday 12 2, half 4, 7, and Monday at 8. So every single game is going to be shown, Paul. Um, and at the end of your piece, the last section, you kind of touch on your the cautionary tales of whether you think it's going to be completed or
0: not. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just looking at a, you know, from various sources, reading various pieces from scientists. It does seem to be lately that the scientists are being um kind of sidelined a bit by the government at the moment um and it's more about sort of political expediency and and you know achieving their objectives rather than kind of listening to the science that seems to be um what i'm hearing um and so you know it feels to me like it's everything's opening up a bit too quickly and it feels like a lot after the Dominic Cummings affair a lot of people are just not listening to the messaging of the government anymore um so there's kind of like a a mix of the government opening things up and then people just kind of doing what they want anyway which suggests that the there will be a rise again in the in the number of cases um and obviously there's a good chance of a second wave even though that's not yeah it's not by any means certain but you would you would start to think well it's not that becomes possible because it seems that we're opening up before the the virus is completely contained i know that the, the uh, most of the numbers are down and down quite a lot but I think it was even last Thursday. And Friday. Official, official numbers, Paul. I official think. numbers as well which is <laughs> the, another problem. Yes, they're,
1: exactly,
0: yeah. You know, things aren't, people aren't being counted. Uh, but what was interesting to me was, I think, yeah, I think it was Thursday and Friday last week, so at the start of June now, so at the end of May, there were still two days in a row where there were, there were, there were over 400 deaths in the UK from COVID-19, official deaths, that is, and... And now, as of yesterday, the 1st of June, there were zero deaths in Spain. So it seems like Spain and Germany have got the virus under control and are opening up, and yet we're opening up. It seems to be the, the expert opinions that I'm reading seem to be like, you know, we still had like two weeks to go and if we could have done two more weeks of full lockdown, we could be reopening with virtually no virus present. But as it is, we're reopening with lots of virus still present which obviously then means that it's easier to spread because of the two to three week lag in the time it takes people to, to become infected, to realise they're infected, to then go and see a doctor, to then end up in hospital. A lot of the seriousness of the, you know, if there is a spike after reopening, that won't be seen immediately. So um the, 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 the lag, the delay is going to be problematic. And it just happens to be that, that will coincide with the start, you know, with Project Restart. So it, it, it could be that we start to see a big rise in the middle of June and then, you know, I would still expect the, the start of the season to go ahead. But then if, if that rise continues, then, uh, and certainly if a, if a player starts to get ill if, if, or, or seriously ill, things like that start happening, then i would think it would it could crumble quite easily um that that would just just be my my hunch And that's not kind of you know um you know any great um you know epidemiological insight on my part but that just feels like you know it would just take one player to get seriously ill from this and i think a lot of the other players would lose their appetite to to, to carry on
1: so one of the uh Points you mentioned, in, at the end of the piece, is the extra inch podcast, um, where Alex Benham, who's a pub- public health researcher at Oxford, talks about many of the things you've just touched on there. And bees. Um, speaking of positive tests and official things, the Premier League apparently are using a company <laughs> called <laughs> Penetics with an owner who was uh, <laughs> who was charged by the uh, the American. Um, Institute for Medicine or whatever it was, he was charged by for some dodgy tests. Um, also, they're doing the tests in the na the nasal at the back of the nose rather than at the back of the throat, which has a massive effect, well, a significant impact on the positive of tests and the accuracy of the tests. So, I asked you both to listen to it. What did you What did you think of it overall? And then, with specific reference to uh, the testing.
2: Well, it seems strange to um, be on a podcast and um, you know advise people to switch this off and go and listen to a different podcast, <laughs> but uh, it, it almost feels like that's what we should do because it was it was just really interesting um, talking lots of different sort of facts um, about everything as you've as you've said there, but I think the sort of the the, the key phrase that kind of um, sort of brought it all together was the fact that the Premier League is copying the Bundesliga to an extent which is which is makes sense to sort of go from the example that's gone ahead but germany handled the whole crisis so much better than than britain has and that's that's really going to be the crux of the issue um yeah i mean like what you're saying about uh, the different levels of um of testing doing tests that aren't as effective um i think you mentioned something about the in the championship the players are going to be testing themselves uh which is good you know Likely to be even less effective.
1: Utterly pointless um, as a scientific exercise.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's sort of worrying. And um, again, another sort of key line that just sort of chilled me really was when he uh, they said something about um, there's a there's a, a sort of chairman who's looked into could he be prosecuted for corporate manslaughter if a player dies yeah that was and i mean obviously it's you know i suppose ultimately you need to be prepared for any eventuality and all that sort of stuff but the fact that that's even crossing people's minds Mm -hmm. just goes to show what's being put at risk here for the sake of of continuing a football season even if it is the most important of the least important things as they say now clearly it's not just being done to entertain people it's because of all the money involved and, and what they would lose um I thought it was interesting hearing on that. I think I've heard it before, but they're saying about you know, Premier League will still have to pay back three hundred and five million pounds to broadcasters. I mean, at, at fifteen million a club, obviously that's going
0: to affect some far more than others. Obviously, it is. That's not. Um, that's that's also weighted. I think so. I think we'd Liverpool would have to pay about thirty million. I think. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah
1: we'll Liverpool Liverpool have to pay about the most because we get the most relative.
0: Yeah.
2: So small, we're on TV the most. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, But it it just seems like there's yeah there's a sort of rushing into it, um, and uh, certainly from what was being discussed on that excellent podcast, it's just it's sort of madness to be to be starting. Um, But and it's not just that you know the Bundesliga haven't got everything right. I thought it was um, interesting when he said about how you know being um, two meters apart on the substitute bench makes no difference at all. It just sort of looks good. Looks like you're doing the right thing, but it, it's sort of, you know, irrelevant, really.
1: Yeah, he, um, said, he just, says there's yeah. barely any risk. Barely any risk in the match. It's not the match. It's yeah, the, so it's the, it's the, being together for large extended periods of time in training,
0: and also travel. Yeah, traveling separately, or are they sitting next to each other on on, on coaches and plot Or are they going to fly on planes? Do you know what I mean? It's like the whole the whole week they're going to be in close proximity to each other, aren't they? So. You know the idea that it's the the danger is only on the match day is kind of crazy. One thing I said in the piece, which, which I I which I got from the the podcast, which I hadn't I hadn't realised how it was going to be implemented. But what, earlier in the out in the pandemic outbreak, they were talking about like games being played in neutral venues like St George's Park, with um, in with the players in in kind of essentially in bubbles. So they're you know. Whereas at the moment it seems like all the games are going apart, going, you know, in the normal locations, bar a few that might be changed. But that the players are um, going home to their wives and families and and things like that. And I thought the whole point was was to keep them away from all of from every, from, from everyone else, yeah. you know, to stop them getting infected from the outside, and then to stop them if they've got partners that are vulnerable, which some have, to, to stop them taking it back again. So that was that, that was quite confusing for me. One one thing that I'm finding is there seems to be some kind of mass cognitive dissonance along the fact that everything is fine now. And and it was kind of as you could see from that Bundesliga thing. So like the Bundesliga has sorted out, you know, Germany has sorted out a lot of its issues. And we haven't, and yet it seems to be that we're you know we're going ahead in UK society as if everything is under control and back to normal, Out, because people want it to be. There seems to be a lot of, and again, I've seen this from Liverpool fans in various places. You know, we want we want it to be back, so we're almost saying that it's that it's safe to be back. The, the other big big worry, and it, it, it's interesting, it reminded me of your what you researched about referees, Daniel, um, was that this this company that the Premier League are using are claiming that they have ninety eight point eight percent success rate with their tests or something <laughs> yeah. and that, that was that, that was almost pretty much the, the referees own view of their of, of their you know correct decisions nothing you know, not, you know As soon as you start hearing figures like that you, you know it's bullshit because that's just life doesn't work like that and you know and then and then it turns out that they they can get figures close to that but not you know those they seem to be hyped as well but you could get say maybe 90 percent success rate in a lab when you're using perfect samples which yeah. is the point that i was making but if you're if you have a, a perfect load of the virus in a test tube that's different to sticking a, a you know a tip up someone's nose and rooting around and trying to find the bit of virus that may or may not be there may just you know may may miss you know may not be collected so you know once you start hearing stats like that i my, my antenna about anything, anybody that's claims to have a ninety-nine percent success rate at anything, you know, is you know instantly I start to think, you know, probably, probably that's bullshit. So,
1: although Michael Edwards could claim that in with his transfer successes in the last <laughs> two or three years, um,
0: <laughs> even, I, even, <laughs> then, even then, <laughs> you you could argue that they're obviously. Yeah, Solanke.
1: Solanke. Um, there is. There's, there's you, some Shakira, maybe.
0: Even Minamino. You know, at the moment, when I again, when I did the the, the, the success rate thing, that was, some of those that were, that would be out of all the Premier League transfers since ninety two, some of those that would be classed as failures were not bad signings per se, not bad players. They just didn't play enough games. And some some. Do you know what I mean? Once you've got a superb first team it's really hard to buy new players who will play a lot of football. Do you know what I mean? That's, the, mm. that's, that's another issue where Liverpool are at, at the moment, is that they've got so many good players and so many good players on the bench that extremely good players aren't even going to make the match day 18. So, um, um,
1: one of the other risks was to um, be uh, ME players, and there was supposed to be a government study coming out last night that was... Journalists were just told that it was because it was too close to the Black Lives Matter protest, which seems scandalous and a massive affront to um, everyone listening. But I found something uh, when we were researching players being furloughed, and that's the the Major League Baseball um, Players Union have put forward a proposal to the league which says um, any players who are deemed high risk to the virus or who even live with someone who is high risk can opt out of the the, the season um, until it's back to normal and receive both service time and pay.
0: a so full pay, that would mean full pay, would it? Or would that pay, mean
1: full pay? Full pay. All others, so anybody else can opt yeah. out. Can opt out, but they don't receive any pay. They only receive service time. So oh, yeah, if, yeah. if you're not a high risk or you're not living within one high risk, then they expect you to turn up. Yeah. And if you are, then you can opt out and still get full pay. That seems like a really fair, well, fair way to do it.
0: Which is what I said on the previous podcast, wasn't it? That people should be allowed to to opt out. Um, the di- the difference, I guess, is that, um, you know, it is the as you say, is the level of safety. If if it's not, I mean, they were talking about on that other spurt on that Spurs podcast about. Um, certain players that have got, you know, immu- immuno-compromised partners. And obviously, if it's not safe for them to do their job, it's hard for a club to turn around and say, well, actually, we're not going to pay you the full amount. Do you know what I mean? Because it's through no fault of, their- of the players that-, that they're in a more difficult situation. My-, my My problem is with players, just all players, saying we're not going to play, we don't think it's safe, and then still being paid a full wage whilst the clubs are kind of hemorrhaging money. And I know, you know, we, we can all range on our levels of sympathy for that, but it's, you know, that, that that is ultimately funded by the fans in a way, isn't it? Because we're the ones that buy the season tickets, the television subscriptions, the merchandise, you know, and the clubs don't really hold on to that money. They, they invest that money in players, transfers and wages and perhaps on infrastructure as well. So, I think yeah. I mean, obviously, as they pointed out on, on that podcast, the, the the BME BAME players are. Whilst the general population seems to be more at risk, that doesn't necessarily apply to footballers because it's the fact that you know, kind of the institutional racism and the and the lack of opportunity for people of colour that, that sees them doing the kind of the more dangerous jobs uh, so they're much, jobs yeah they're much more highly represented amongst sort of hospital staff care workers um, transport drivers things like that um, in many cases those those were the, the jobs that decades many many decades ago you know people were were told to come to to Britain to do those jobs um, you know, so it, a healthy black player for instance, is he going to be any more susceptible you know there are obviously going to be slight genetic differences there are players that there, there, there are there are conditions that, that do affect different races sort of differently but it could just be as i say that the, the bme community is is experiencing more death because they are more front line
1: more, more overcrowding in the housing, less access exactly. to open space, more underlying health conditions. These are all the factors. I don't think though, that these apply to a lot of footballers. That's my honest opinion because they're really healthy. But if they live that's... with, a, but if they live with someone, then that's a different kettle kind of fish, and that's completely understandable. So, so Cante's. Oh. K- um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry you can probably hear my dog you,
0: I, 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 had to lock, I had to lock my dog away because the postman when we started recording the postman was just doing the doing the road and my dog was going mad so um, I know the I know the figuring so, but, do, uh, yeah.
1: so do I the, um,
0: his, Kante's, Kante's, Kante's brother, no Kante's brother wasn't it
1: died from um, at quite a young age died of a heart related issue Oh, right. um, I, I think I need to check that. But and he says he he's not coming back. And that again, that's
0: understandable because that's genetic, isn't it? I think the the what they were saying on the other podcast was that was it Sterling's mother used to be a cleaner, Kante's mother I, get, I can't remember the exact players. I think those were the players they mentioned, used to be a cleaner. So a lot of their parents, although these players are very healthy, very wealthy, their parents yeah. would have been struggling working-class people that didn't have access to good medicine, good um, good diet, good, you know, uh, may, may have lived in sort of, you know, more overcrowded areas and so on. So their extended families may actually be amongst the vulnerable group, you know, they, and again I, I guess a lot of players may have parents that have diabetes, not even the white players, not all of them have, have come sort of through... You know, grammar school academy systems. You know, they're you know they're working class, poor white players as well. So all of the players could have parents. You would imagine that could have. You know, I mean, that, that, that just of any any cross section of society will have parents that are either older or that have heart problems or diabetes. All these kind of things. It's, it's then just a question of you know obviously if you're living with someone that's you 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 pretty much have to see them if you do have to see your parents no is that morally right to then say well you're not allowed to see your parents for the next three months while you we finish the league yeah. you know that's another question really but
1: so on Kante just uh just checked and God, this is I, I wouldn't be going if i was him um he, he In 2018, he caused concern amongst his teammates when he fainted in training after a session. His brother died of a heart attack the same year, um, similar age. He has now returned to isolated training at Chelsea
2: um, and they're going to take it from there. But
1: I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't.
2: Have you seen as well, um, unrelated to health issues, there, a couple of players for Charlton have said they're not going to play because yeah. they don't want to risk getting injured Um, Ahead of their contracts running out this summer,
0: in June the contracts run out at the end of 30th of June, I think, isn't it? This month.
2: Yeah, and they've uh, they're refusing to play, and obviously people are saying that you know these these guys probably won't be the only ones who who do that. Now whether they've got their own sort of health concerns in with that as well, I don't know. But the story is that they're sort of refusing to play because they don't want to get injured ahead of a of a contract. But I mean that of the end of their contract. But obviously that's sort of always been a possibility, and it. Players have always
0: played. Um... Why hasn't... I thought, One of the, again, I thought one of the issues was was going to be that players' contracts were automatically extended to the end of the season because it seems ludicrous for the credibility, the uh, sporting credibility of the Championship. And again, this could happen in the Premier League. You know, if players start disappearing in June, you know what I mean? It's like, well, you, you can't... Yeah, you know, I think Charlton were talking about... Was it Charlton were talking about losing eight or nine players or something? It's like... That, that's just, that kills the integrity of the competition. Now, what what the legalities are of extending their contracts, I don't know. But, you know, what's going to, presumably Adam Lallana, I think is the only major Liverpool player and he's not really a, not a starter. I think, you know, someone like David Silver are, are these players all extending their contracts till um, October or wh- whenever it is that the season's due to, to end? you know?
1: I don't know. I have no idea what's happening with any players' contracts.
0: That, yeah, I, I just actually, know it was the, I
1: mean, it was a key factor in league 1 and league 2 deciding to call it a day because they knew that player's contracts come to an end and
0: they couldn't afford to pay him, carry on paying them. which is obviously a different thing I mean the other thing I, I put in my piece was about it's on a similar line is you know if if kante doesn't play for chelsea that's one player but you know Players are soon going to pick up injuries. There may be like a really early spate of injuries because although everybody's, you know, been able to get rid of pretty much all their injuries, if they go from zero to 100 mile an hour in no time at all without a preseason, they're going to pick up injuries. They're going to be suspensions. Then if you start getting clusters of players that have to miss out because they are self-isolating or they've they've got the virus or they're you know they've known someone who has. That instantly, you, you can talk about half a squad being missing in no time at all to a level which you wouldn't see during a, a normal season. I'm, the only instance I can think of was that last day of the season with Spurs and Ars- Spurs playing Arsenal, or was it Spurs? Um, well they had uh, the dodgy lasagna. The, <laughs> the dodgy lasagna. So which so seems to be that Spurs. How many? I can't remember the exact details, but didn't Spurs have like half a team or? something like that out in which case the game still went ahead and again i don't know what the what the rules are for sort of sickness and illness on a on a larger scale do you know what i mean if somebody has flu in the winter or yeah, well, they missed they missed the game you don't call it off but if the entire squad came down with flu then presumably there would be something in in, in the rules for that uh, but also if players then start the 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 issue of credibility uh, you know sporting integrity is is about if if certain players more than just kante and um troydini but if clusters of players at clubs start to refuse to play at what point does it become a bit of a mockery which it sounds like it's happening you know, in the championship, with with players just you know not playing or leaving because of contract issues.
1: I have no idea. I haven't. <laughs> I would imagine that um, I don't know more than more than thirty percent of a squad. Maybe some kind of plucked figure from thin air there. But well, when Middlesbrough,
2: just, when Middlesbrough pulled out of a game once, didn't they, years ago, for um, having their entire squad. Sorry, I mean, obviously, in. it's a different situation now, but they, they pulled out of a game and uh, were docked three points and eventually were relegated because of it. Who was that? Sorry, B? Middlesbrough. Uh, Middlesbrough in the mid-90s, when they had Ravenelli that season, they were in the Premier League and they yeah. had a sick squad, so they didn't play their game at Blackburn and they got docked three points and it ended up costing them... Uh, they ended up getting relegated, essentially, because of it.
0: That Yeah, that, some like of that doesn't seem doesn't seem fair i mean obviously you you know there are certain managers you could imagine that would use that you know create a a, some kind of fake um situation to get out of uh, you know a dodgy situation that they don't you know they don't want to play a game or something but if it's in a in the middle of a highly publicized pandemic and you know Teams aren't a, a, able to play, which was kind of happening. W- what I was thinking about when before the lockdown was, you know, as I say, once you start getting um, teams unable to fulfil fixtures, and then it's and then the next week it's a different team for a few weeks, and then you know, what I mean, it, it, it could just be chaos and trying to make a you know make sense of who plays who and when. Um, but you know, it's, for, for the time being, as I say, and obviously that is still more. Relevant to England because we have a much higher incidence of the of the virus than than Germany. So exactly. it's it's so if, it, if it can happen to one team in Germany with with the virus under control, could it happen to several teams in in the Premier League? If it did, fairly chaotic.
1: Not if uh, they're using terrible testing procedures. But anyway, that's we've, we've already touched on that. I just bees, I just want to. I think we've outlined as much cautionary tales as we can. But are you looking forward to the football restarting?
2: It's hard to know, really, isn't it? I've not. I mean, I've watched a couple of bits of Bundesliga and I sort of, you know, but I and it's. I've not got too into it. But then I, I don't sort of have a vested interest. I mean, I think it would be quite good to see Liverpool play again, of course. But I think it's just going to seem very strange. And the more you learn, as we've learned from that podcast and other bits and bobs, you just wonder how long it, it, it can go on for. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know. I think I've sort of reached a point generally, sort of before all of this, where I wasn't sort of desperate for every game to come along every week. And I, you know, I would very much enjoy it when it was on, but I wasn't sort of like wishing the days away to get to the next game and stuff like that. So um, I'm not sort of somebody who's sort of desperate for the next game. I think it will be good. Um, but I kind of just hope Liverpool... Win their first two games, get six points, put all that to bed. Yeah. And then I think once that happens, my interest level will be very, very low. If I'm completely honest, I mean I'll probably watch the Liverpool games if they're going on, but once the league is settled for Liverpool, I I got to be honest, I don't think I'll be that interested in it. Uh, Paul, my honest opinion.
1: Are you going to uh, yeah. watch all ninety two games, Paul?
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> If, one thing I was going to say when you mentioned all the all the fixtures is one of my my theories over the recent years about why f- football makes us increasingly insane, and obviously social media plays a big part in that because that just makes everybody insane. But the the staggering of games is what has taken my. I mean, I as I say, I, I suffer with chronic illness anyway, so my energy levels aren't what they used to be. Um, but I've, I just find Premier League weekends absolutely exhausting at times, If if particularly since, say, 2017, when things really started to take off under Klopp, and obviously the, we, we joke about the must-win games and how everything's must-win, and that just becomes meaningless. But we've got, we got so insanely good under Klopp, uh, and yet City, throughout a lot of that time, were also insanely good, And then we were having some insanely good results in Europe as well. And then, but then, you know, you'd have have an insanely good result, but then you'd have to play the second leg. So, like when we beat City, and then we had to play them in the second leg, or when we thrashed Roma, but then you knew it was kind of, you know, it could be more nervy on the second leg. There's just been like three years of absolutely constant high pressure Liverpool games. But 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 the way they spread games out now means that. You know, you start watching, I, and I say to everyone, I'm not going to watch Man City versus whatever Everton or 12:30 on the Saturday. And then you see that Everton have gone one up against City, and you think, oh, you know, obviously on, in that occasion you'd be, i will be supporting Everton briefly. And then, and then, so then you, you know, adrenaline kicks in, and you think, right, oh, shall I switch it on? You, you know, I'll see it on BBC. shall I switch it on? So I will switch it on, and then City put 23 goals past Everton and whatever it is they end up doing. And then, and then you're like, oh, so. so it feels like Liverpool have already lost because your rival has gained ground on you. Um, And Again, this this is probably less of an issue in the last few weeks, you know, once Liverpool's gap became so uh, huge, but you might have three games on a Saturday that directly affect Liverpool and Liverpool playing at four o'clock on a Sunday. And then you might have two games on a Sunday before that. And by the time Liverpool play, do you know what I mean? It feels like I've, I've, Experienced whether I've watched them or, or followed them online, I've experienced five or six games that have, that have affected my nerves anyway. Yeah. So by the time Liverpool playing, I'm already either in a state of kind of, you know, uh, I mean, sometimes again, it can, it can work in your favour and you know, you're, you're a bit more relaxed about the game, but it, does, it just the whole thing's being strung out the whole weekend just I think makes football a lot you experience your rivals games a lot more intently than you used to. When I used to go every week in the nineties and the early two thousands and, you know, the scores would be read out at, the, at full time. Yeah. You wouldn't have had a chance to worry about what, what Man United or Everton were doing or wherever we we were, we were nearest to in the table and competing with. You just wouldn't even think, you know what I mean? There might be like the occasional, you know, if it was a big game at the end of the season, somebody would have a radio or something, but, it was just, well, oh, what have they done? What have United done today? And then you would find out at the end of the game. But whereas now all your rivals, you have to kind of sit through their there. So I, I personally won't be watching all the other games. Unless, unless I unless it then comes through that the team that I want to lose is losing. And then I switch it on and then, <laughs> and then get drawn into the madness. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I haven't, I haven't missed football too much because it has been the first proper break for about three years, and as like B says, I think it's going to be like a, a shadow version of what we're used to. It will still be, it will still have a lot of merit. I think it, providing that that everyone is well enough to take part, but I, I can't say that I'm, I, I, you know, I'm eager. I, I'm obviously a bit. Less worried now that it seems like the Premier League have, have ruled out the, the chance the season would be null and voided because that was my the one, one reason you'd want the football back was for Liverpool to get the six points. It would still be nicer if if Liverpool do actually do that, but you know if the season if we play one game back and then suddenly you know thirty five players have got the virus, the league is cancelled. It would be. It's nice to know that Liverpool will pretty much now be awarded the league title. So that's that's kind of that's one sort of change in the in recent weeks. But yes, yeah, so I'm not really. I'm not. You know, I'm kind of. You know, I think I'll I'll get into it once it happens. I watched the, I watched the I watched the the Barcelona game, the four 0 a few weeks ago, and it was it was just very emotional and very strange to. It's like it was like. Reconnecting with old friends, almost, and it was it was a very strange. And then you realise how much you kind of love, how much love you feel for Klopp and for the players, you know, just that sort of, and and, and the buzz that you can you can get from football at its best. Um, but obviously, football isn't going to be anything like that game against Barcelona. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be very different. Um, I think and. I think-
1: Yeah, I think um, it was Mark's video that we included in Free (laughs) Friday that absolutely set me off somewhat chronic. And, And it set me off in a way that before it, I was really looking forward to the football coming back, especially Liverpool. And I watched it and how amazing it was with the crowds and the players and the emotions and the results that we've had. And I just thought... It's gonna be. It's not gonna be the same <laughs> at all. It's gonna be oh, like a, a a watered down version of winning the league, and that kind of just crept over me. And then listening to that the extra inch podcast and learning about <laughs> how where the context that where we're starting compared to Germany and other and other leagues where there's virtually no cases in their countries, and it, I'm just like, oh, this could be an absolute shit show. And not only that, and it's kind of selfish and self-interested from a fan point of view, but it just might be the season where it is remembered that it was just cancelled for COVID. And yeah, Liverpool were by far the best team, probably the best team in English football history in terms of those 38-game stretch that we had. And I'm <laughs> just like a dawning, depressing realisation that people will just talk about that season when it was cancelled rather than, the best team we've ever seen and uh, what, I hope I hope I'm completely
0: wrong the good thing is um, is that if if the C se- if project restart goes wrong pretty quickly um, well, at the moment we're almost in terms of uh, the record that we had this season you know we're we had a pretty much perfect season. We could actually sort of sully that. We, you know, we, we should get the two wins we need. But say we, say we, we play six games and we lose four of them, then suddenly you get the title. But would it feel any more of a, a victory than being awarded the title now when we've won 25 out of 27 games, I think it is? is? Or is it, no, 27 out of 29? I can't even remember. It's been yeah, twenty-seven
2: out of 29.
0: twenty-nine. Yeah, that, that twenty-seven out of twenty-nine is phenomenal. If we end up winning thirty-one out of thirty-seven, say that wouldn't be quite phenomenal. But we're in the league, and I think you know the, the main thing. The main thing is that there is you know the health of the, of the nation. It's important for us that Liverpool win the league, however they, however it's decided. Um, my my other worry would be. I think a lot of people. Judging by what people have been doing on bank holidays and on the sunny weather, it worries me that there will be congregations of fans.
1: One final round up there, Paul. Yeah. You mentioned about Liverpool's. Do do you do, do you genuinely think it takes something away from it now, or will you remember those twenty-seven out of
0: twenty-nine? I I think that as, as I've said before, I think. I, you know, as as a m- mnemonic, like a memorising, you know, memories are, are created by associations, and I think that the association with how good we are, how good we have been, is actually strengthened by the by the COVID thing, because it, it just it would just cement in the minds, and and you know, um, it, if if the Reds weren't awarded the title. And, and the season was cancelled. People would, you know, people would, you know, use it as a as a weapon against Liverpool. Say, oh, we well, didn't finish all the, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't, you know, win it sort of fully or whatever. But I think that in the hearts and minds, that kind of thing, I think it's kind of very, very deeply imprinted. Uh, and in a strange way, if Liverpool were to win the league at an empty Anfield the The images from that would be even stranger. Do you know what I mean? That would be, you know, what I mean that would stick in the mind yeah. m- for for neutrals perhaps more than oh, there's a lot of Liverpool fans celebrating. You know, it would just be, you know, anything that's slightly different, sort of, you know, w- will become more of a memory because it's distinct. And I think that this season is distinct. I think that the the achievement of this team up to this point has been obviously unprecedented. Having won the Champions League last season and made the final the season before, and having got 97 points last season, I, I just don't think there's any. There will be people saying, you know, ah, uh, you know, this team didn't win the league properly or whatever. But I, you know, I, I I personally think that this is going to be remembered as one of the great teams by by the neutrals, like it, whether they whether they like admit it or not, or whether they like it or not. I just think that. For for two two and a half years, this team has just been on a different level. It's as I say, it's, isn't it the fourth highest ranked team yeah. in club ELO history? You know, in the entire history of football, uh, he's just done things, that taken football. To, maybe not in, in aesthetic terms, but in in, in many terms, it's taken taken getting results to a to a whole new level. And so, uh, you know, obviously, I want that to be sealed with. The title, as I've said before, just if anything else, just to shut. Because if if, if the season was cancelled and Liverpool weren't awarded the title, it would now be 30 the next year it would be thirty-one years. It would be you know it would be yeah. just to shut. You know what I mean? Just to shut the people up, the the, the, the tiresome nonsense about that up, which we shouldn't really worry about, but it becomes hard to 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 avoid at times. So you know, I, I think it would be it would be nice if we could tie it up early. You know, win the next two games, but whatever happens, it seems that Liverpool are going to be crowned champions, um, and that's you know that that's in in a, bad, in a in a really bad time for us, for us Liverpool fans, that would be you know that would be something to uh, you know to give us some joy.